Hey there, welcome to Jenny and Paul Sellout, episode number 18. This is the podcast where culture matters and selling out doesn't. I'm Paul Reesmandel, one half of the sellout team. My co-host Jenny Benevento will join in just a moment, along with our guest, Kyle Reesmandel, PhD. Today we get heavy meta and discuss podcasting, sort of, but also kvetch about internet nerd celebrities and how subcultures get insular, then turn into markets, sort of. Anyway, uh, better for you to listen and for me to describe. Hello, Jenny. Hello, Kyle. Hello, Kyle. Hello, Jenny. Hello, Paul. So, Dr. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle Reesmandel is in the uh, Podcastatorium B, uh, our auxiliary studio here space. For the in- larger for the larger events. For the larger <laughs> events. And by that, I mean more than two people. Yeah. Right. Where, uh, and in, when we, more than two people and when, uh, actually, Dr. Kyle is uh, is occupying Studio A, Podcastatorium always- Studio A. Sure. <laughs> I always feel like your use of PhD and doctor with me is mockery. <laughs> <laughs> Which I kind of enjoy and kind of hate, but it's, it's Stop still mockery. Fine. It's just okay. we like to only have guests, as we established a few episodes ago, that have more education than we do. It's so, which is hard to do, frankly. So, you yeah, know. I mean, I, I've attempted two PhDs and failed, so it, it's not mockery. If I never attempted a PhD and thought it was somehow, you know, beneath me or above me or something, then perhaps it could be mockery. <laughs> Fair enough. I was just checking. But as someone who 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 who's a pretender who tried and did not succeed, I, I feel like I cannot mock those who uh, who were able to actually haul their ass over the finish line. Yeah, that's exactly what it is too. So, uh, and it, even though you're here for an academic conference that you did not attend, <laughs> as far as my work <laughs> colleagues know, I attended many panels, hobnob, networked, schmoozed. They, they don't listen to this podcast. I'm no, assuming they don't. I yeah. assume. But you're using this on your on your CV, right? The, well, this... I didn't give a paper. Actually, I had a paper rejected. No, I, no, so... I meant I meant this podcast. Oh yeah, this is on there, yeah. of course. Yeah. Why wouldn't it be? I put everything I do on there. <laughs> uh, you, you have to. I mean, my friend John put all of his uh, appearances on my previous radio show on his CV. Yeah, well, that was a broadcast radio show, so that's true. Not? Oh, so that's legitimate. Oh, I see. Thanks, yeah. Kyle. Well, there. Well. Yes. Podcasting is not. There a is the podcasting medium. question. That was we've talked about that one a lot about whether we were ever going to really get into it, but I don't know if today is the day for that either. Do what podcasting as a, as a topic? Meta. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you know, I mean, and to. that actually no, that's a good one because it, it it sort of brushes up against Hodgman, which we were just oh, discussing right. before we started. Uh, and uh, I don't know if it does. I mean, it sort of brushes up against Colton because he's in that land, even if he doesn't podcast himself. Jonathan Colton to John Hodgman, who went to college together, so that's why I feel oh, like they're. Right. Oh. Yeah. Where did they go? Columbia or somewhere? Yale. Yeah. Yale. Of course, Yale. Fucking Yale. I mean, I think that's part of why I find them annoying, but yes. And they all both grew up together in Brookline. I, I thought you were a Colton fan. Yeah. No, I like I like his music, but I find him kind of annoying. Is yeah. he on that public radio show now, too? He oh, that music. show's terrible. Yeah, I haven't heard it. That's I What is this public radio show? Uh, the, 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 the trivia. Never show of some sort where he's the it's, music it's got some annoying title as well it's like the funny cinema entertainment yield timey hour yeah, like all anal three. Oh, so it's <laughs> so basically yeah, what you're I saying think, is i can always a, confuse them yeah <laughs> a 30s 30 something liberal npr hipster show like it's trying to like like pick up where uh it's like if if 
if the Dresden Dolls were an NPR show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow, so basically, that was for almost no one the reference. <laughs> Like, wait, wait, guys, I got it. I got to wait, wait, so everyone's going to understand what I'm talking about. And so then she pulls out like a Dennis Miller. <laughs> exactly. It's like if but Nietzsche you could call us sale of the century. You can call us at 1-800-LACTOSE. <laughs> oh, the good Dennis Miller. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 something. Uh, <laughs> actually, I have very little opinion about Jen- Jonathan Colton because I actually have not, I've maybe heard his songs twice. I've not actively sought out any of his material. But it's simply because there's this milieu that that I'm I, I have I don't say it's a strong opposition to so much a wariness about. I like that we just only talk about people I hate, and I don't actually hate that many people in real life. Hmm. But I'm not hating them. I mean, I'm no, also I'm, finding I'm, the same fatigue. Saying, yeah. yeah. Um, it's called Ask Me Another. The show. Oh right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ask me another. Ask. ask. <laughs> <laughs> Today's topic: <laughs> dinosaurs. <laughs> I like them. I like them. They're psychosauruses. They're really you lose cool. points if you make eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> they throw a bunch of toothpicks on the ground, and the person who gets the closest whoever, count whoever wins. Can name it quickest. <laughs> as well as the starting lineup of the 1938s. <laughs> And as a, as a bonus question, you have to uh, you have to figure out how to maneuver your way out of a romantic relationship you don't know how to. Yeah, right. <laughs> that you don't know how you got into. <laughs> it sucks because um, because of all the rocking, the 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 audio goes just in and out on that show. <laughs> so I want to tell you about how I really like the dinosaurs. Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah. That sounds. That was well, one of the best things ever. The Onion used to do the uh, the the uh, the autistic uh, news reporter, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> he would do, like with the train accident. He was just worried about what happened to the train, and it's brilliantly done. <laughs> anyway, but uh, we don't talk about Jonathan Colton and uh, or John spectrum Hodgman. disorders or yeah. spectrum disorders the whole time. <laughs> Maybe it's all related. I'm, I'm not sure. Spectrum disorders. That, that, like when we were young, spectrum was like the porno channels. Remember? Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a different disorder. <laughs> Right. It was, oh, you're right. It was the, it was it was like the Philadelphia yeah, like Philadelphia area Spectrum. pay cable, yeah. and it was actually and it was the same company that owned the Spectrum. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, which is which was a arena venue. Yeah. In Philly. And is that where the did the Flyers play there? Yeah, for a very long time. Yeah. I saw the Colt there. Really? Yeah. They called it the Spectrum Theater, so they just like closed off half yeah, of right. it because <laughs> we didn't sell enough tickets. I saw Weezer there. Wow. Like, yeah. Actually, right before it closed, like maybe 2002. Mm. Yeah. Now the the, uh, the podcasting cat has made her appearance. She's normally banned from the uh, podcast, but since this is we're in a more a bigger communal space, she is asserting her right to be here. And There's lots of opinions. Yeah. About right it. next to me, yes. Yeah, because she knows you're allergic to her. Come here, yeah, Margarita. All right, I like this podcast. The cat cat. <laughs> it's, like, it's just someone over and over. Come here, come on, come on, get up. We're off to a good start. So, I mean, Jonathan Colton, uh, for, I guess we might want to point out it. We can't assume everyone knows who he is. He is a, uh, an internet nerd music. He's usually thought of as the only person who has sort of made music work recently as a monetary. As a new artist, not outside the label system. Yeah. So like he is, he basically gave his music away for free and, um, ask people to pay whatever they could, and he makes about a half million dollars a year, also through touring. He's been on a couple of I, I, NPR shows as well, just talking about like the monetary aspect of it. And mm-hmm. a lot of people say it's a totally not reproducible situation because he sings to a sp- very specific devoted group. Nerds. Right. 
Yeah, he, he started because he was a programmer, wasn't yes. he? And then he's just started recording these funny ditties that, you know, and I've heard some of his stuff and it's fine, but it's all, it's kind of all programmer and internet in joke. I don't. I don't think that's actually true. No. no. Well, the early stuff was. That's what he got known for. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Monkey so and, that's. Right. But still, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But it evolved out of that. I think, like the niche kind of reference heavy. Yeah. I mean, to the point where recently Glee stole his arrangement oh, yeah, of a yeah, song. Oh, you arranged. Yeah. Uh, Baby got back. Yeah. Acoustically. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, that's what I heard. And possibly like the actual track. Like there are parts of it where they think it's just the it's actual track. The same. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So what is it with Hodgman? Because we were before we started you that I don't about, like. Yeah, exactly. I don't find his books funny. I just find him grating. I find him really grating. Hmm. I don't know if I have any defense for He's that. He's such a such try hard. Yeah, exactly. I would say there is the try hard, and and I think that there are times when he's when when he seems sort of effortless is when he's funniest. But that much of the time, I think, exactly. It sounds like he's trying very hard. I think he's probably a really funny person. I think the character John Hodgman is super annoying. Okay, that's fair. Because I was like, I think he is playing a character a lot of that time. And yeah, The totally. character is trying too hard. Right. And it's hard to separate it when you call the character John Hodgman and you, you know, yeah, and devote yourself he, to it. He became John Hodgman because he was a character in a commercial. I mean, of, you know. Yeah, that was part of it. I mean, he was like a, a book editor and, you know, was like in the literary world for a very long time before he ever did any comedy at all. And I think he actually went on The Daily Show to promote something. And they were like, you're really funny. Like, you should do stuff for us. Right. And that, and that was like at the same moment, I think the... Kind of like in a Lewis Blacky sort of way. Like, yeah. Lewis Black as a comedian is maybe funny, but you may not like Lewis Black, the character. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but I, I think his stuff is really smart. And like, the like unlike a lot of comedians who do characters like that, it's not just all a style joke. Like, it's not just like, here's a format or here's a thing to look at that's funny-ish or is a commentary. But he, he writes actual jokes... That are actually, I think, are actually funny. Um, where a lot, of, I think, other people tend to just rely on the personality or the whatever yeah. the, that type is they're playing to be funny. I think what sort of annoys me about it too is that um, it's really sort of appealing to a nerd audience. And in fact, I don't hmm. get the impression that they are actually nerds. Like they seem like oh. bros who went to Yale. Like that to me is really Ooh, yeah, wow. yeah. Right. I mean, and so it just seems very like I heard him on a podcast recently talking about that exact thing that how. I think addressing part of that, because I think, right, you, someone goes to Yale, you assume even if they're, like, the nerdiest person at Yale, like, they probably exactly. are cool or rich or something, right? In Skull and Bones. And, yeah, right. Certainly, <laughs> like, the 70s and 80s, anyway, whenever, you know, actually, right. probably later, because he's, like, about Paul's age, actually. Yeah. So it would be the 80s so and timeless. 90s. Uh, uh, no, which isn't really fair, because especially, actually, those elite institutions like Yale give a lot of scholarship right. money. There's no, a lot I'm, of people I'm, who are there on merit scholarships. Monetary wasn't actually my But like cultural attitude, think, right? Or yeah. socially. Well, than... if you grew up in Brookline, I'm going to guess that you don't have a monetary issue going to Yale in general. No, right, um, yeah. <laughs> no, but he talked about like just how nerdy he was, like all the letters he wrote. Like he, you know, he went to Comic-Con in 1974, you know, right. or whatever the first year was. So I think he is legitimately, whatever that probably means, maybe that's Right. question but into that culture and is not even though he may also be popular and whatever <laughs> you know like but not. i and and it may not be his fault too but i think that yeah, a lot true. of people are like i'm so into him because i'm so nerdy like you yeah. know yeah. and that that sort of yeah chris harbert gets the same thing right it's like oh here's this like handsome guy who was on tv and was a dj and is a comedian and we're supposed to think he's a nerd or whatever and he's like well that's not what i i think he yeah. would say it's not what i mean by it but yeah sure but, but i the guess fans are shitheads yeah, I guess John Hodgman, though, appeals to a very wide audience, which is not his fault. Good for him. Um, but I think a lot of that wide audience then says, 
like here's proof that I am nerdy. Like I uh, love I love this hobo comedy and this. I do. I have it's to so say, precious. I love hobo comedy. I hate it. That's oh. one of the funnier precious. stories. It, in his, in, is it in his first book? Yeah. It's, well, it continues in the second. Yeah, and, and that's one of the funnier. I mean, because he, he did create a world in a, in a way, um, which he does in general, but it's one of the funnier ones. Yeah, I mean, I don't, again, it's like I like Hodgman in small doses, and I think when he's edited his comedy more, he's funnier. But then, then it is when he's sort of just being when there's a lot of him. Like his podcast, I can kind of take or leave. Yeah, agreed. I mean, he has some wit, and he and he and, he, and he's he is quick, and yeah. you know, and sometimes is able to. Oh, he was on Mare, and that's what play, he was talking about. Play it. straight man pretty well. Did you see it when he was on WTF? Yeah, I listened to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. he was talking about that stuff, sort of growing up, like right. how he ended up there, because I think it is an interesting story. But yeah, I think you're right. That's why I like the Daily Show segments with him a lot. Right, because it's very honed. Yeah, it's super well written. He probably gets help writing it, but I think it yeah, is I'm him. Sure. Um, yeah. Probably his nugget and, and yeah. in writing the writers help him. Right, and I think that yeah, he has that. And and that's I mean that's of course always a little bit of problem of overexposure or you know if you're John Hodgman you know and you need to continue to make a living you need to at being John Hodgman the probably the books alone are probably not sufficient for, for the no. for a full middle class income. Uh, so he no, probably he's has to work pretty hard. I don't. At it. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't dislike any of that, and I don't think like he shouldn't be successful. Like there are people who you're yeah, like, sure, sure, girl, I hate them. They need to go away, and I right. don't feel that way about him. I just am like, ugh. I. It's so. It's one of those things that so should be in my wheelhouse, and I just find annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and again, like Jonathan Colton, I don't really have anything against him. I just find that that uh, in that and there's this sort of community that overlaps with like it's sort of the. Early nerdy blogosphere, as epitomized by like Boing Boing, overlaps Ugh. overlaps with the you know with like a Jonathan Colton, mm-hmm. and overlaps with with certain with certain elements of podcasting, which I love, you know, and 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 it seems like it's this little inbred community. And, yeah, and I would that, agree with that. And that you know it, and and it is a listener, or, or you know, you, you feel a little bit like okay, uh, sure, you all know each other, and you go then hang out at at you know uh max fun con and and it starts to feel a little air uh airtight i think joko fans do make me annoyed about like i the more i see anything about that like i had to says the person who just said joko but go yes ahead. <laughs> i had to sign up for the site to do something i i think i was purchasing something and um so i had to like get a username or whatever and mm-hmm. through that process maybe be like oh i don't now i don't want to be involved in this at all <laughs> i would like to backpedal this um but yeah i would agree so i think it's the fan group for me is is a little intense i'm like you guys they might be giants you've heard of them right but like, i have a question come on, then, we all like, did this already right but that's my question is it seems sort of oxymoronic in a way what you're saying because on the one hand a community is a group of people who you know share interests and relate to each other isn't that what this is for the most part or is that what your problem is, is that they actually oh don't? no i think it's great that they're doing that that's not that's not my I, just exposure to them makes me yeah not want to be so far more... i don't want to be in that group how oh, about okay, that I see. <laughs> yeah, that's that was what i was wondering you're saying yeah. it's an idiosyncratic kind of thing it's it's something about your own taste and 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 what you like versus some objectively uh definable uh, objection no i would say oh yeah but i mean i would say it's in the same way that you might enjoy rush but you don't might not want to be seen in the group of people that look like rush fans right, right. yeah sure. like i enjoy the music of jonathan colton but i don't want to be seen in the group of people who have who 
message board about Jonathan Colton. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, it was. I saw the Afghan wigs mm-hmm. on their uh, most recent tour, which is a reunion tour. And the Afghan, I, I really like the Afghan wigs, indie rock band that you know, sort of mainstream, I guess, after a certain point. But there is a a borderline misogynistic undertone in a lot of their lyrics mm-hmm. and i think that their lyrics are smarter than that and it's much more of like wrestling with those impulses as, right. as a as a man obviously but it also i think therefore tends to uh attract uh like douchey boneheads who don't get the uh who don't get the sort of more complicated uh themes of the songs right and they are certain we're certain and it was certainly going to see them at metro it was like oh this is this is half their fan base i'm not really thrilled with these guys <laughs> like yeah. even and because they're even just and and they're like they were all like late 30s like you know mid late 30s guys who clearly don't see a lot of shows we'll probably go to a lot of bars and we're just acting like assholes is basically how i would put it in inputting groups and you're like, I'm going to go over there because you're sort of intolerable. And it's one of those things that like, wow, I like this band. I, re- I was really excited. I never got to see them when they were, uh, you know, a functioning unit, you know, before they broke up, I don't know, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited to see them, but a little disappointed from the crowd. And <laughs> that, I, That's how a hold steady show has become for <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, right. Where at first I was like, this is great. And then it turned into like, oh, I might get roofied here. <laughs> Really, you think so? Yeah, I, I agree. From the last Old City show I saw here, I, I would yeah. agree. Yeah. So is it maybe more a function of Chicago then? Than no, else? no, it's not. I think it's... Well, well there's I mean, a lot of those guys in Chicago. Let's not... Uh, sure, totally. I, I think in New York, it's always going to be a different... Or probably Minneapolis, it's probably going to be a different audience for them. But yeah. I feel like... And the great quantity of their shows I've seen was in New York. Um, but I also think they had like one big radio hit, I guess... Um, around the time I stopped going mm-hmm. and that was I think you know it was on all the popular rock stations and so you know I don't know douchey dudes what was their radio hit I don't know it was on an album I don't care about I don't remember it was probably on stay, stay positive, positive. Right. it might be it might be stay positive yeah I can't remember because they all sound similar enough <laughs> so any one of them could have been the song that broke through it was I think it was born to run yeah uh, yeah so that's my favorite one well they don't all sound the same because as they get they, they increasingly they, yeah. what it happens is they is a as uh, album album they converge more on a conventional verse chorus structure whereas earlier stuff is not really in a conventional yeah it's a little more discursive chorus. that's what I mean like the later ones like Boys yeah and they're Girls less America. concept oh, album oh, yeah. 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 I like stay positive but I, I, I was, do too I was no, late I like to the party it. I was way late to the party so I wonder you know if part of it is is that you know it, it seems to me that people. There's a tendency, and, and I'm not accepting myself from this tendency, to really want to define a, to define a community around you know a sort of a, a overlap of likes and things, and you want to have your artists or your stars or your personalities, you know, from a, from a cultural standpoint, mm-hmm. right? And because it, it, it's nice to you know, and I think because of the the ability for you know, the internet to help people network together who wouldn't have not been well networked together at some point it, you know it's the same thing of, of like zinesters or people who are into sci-fi you know in in like the pre-internet era uh and now it's just so much easier to do that but it but i think you know the for me why it i sometimes get a little tired of it is because it also it has it's like the, there it becomes 
seemingly insular in a certain way and not necessarily on purpose and not necessarily, you know, and that's fine. It can be, but it makes someone who likes part of it and not all of it sometimes feel like, okay, well, that's enough. <laughs> like, yeah, all right. I mean, you know, like if you, if you like one podcast out of a bunch, but it, there's always this, they're always sort of the same people back and forth on all the same other podcasts after a while. You're like, okay, that's enough. I, I mean, need to hear how brilliant this person is again. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it's, uh, enjoying something as a personality instead of having a personality, like defining your personality as being in this community, and and that's what is sort of annoying to me. I don't know. I, part of me feels like it'll there. There's of course like something like LA podcasting, right? There's a degree of insularity because the people who can do podcasting are the people who do not work traditional jobs for the most part, right? If they're not already professional broadcasters right so you know mark maron does his podcast probably at two in the afternoon yeah right <laughs> but, but except that except that he really has made an effort as a podcaster sure. to 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 really branch out and i mean grant I mean, he's still doing you know the bulk are celebrity in quotes or are known artists with some kind of following but he has made a clear effort to get outside of just the same comedians or just the same podcasters sure and i think i think actually anybody who's done it Longer than maybe a year has probably done the same thing. That's uh, probably fair. You know, it, it, I've heard but that. But it's still brought to you by Stamps.com and Audible. <laughs> that's not their fault. And uh, Adam and Eve. <laughs> well, well, that becomes the... I think that's kind of what you were getting at earlier, though, is that what annoys you as much about these communities is that they are markets. Like, they become an identifiable market to sell things to. And so, suddenly, you are being, you know, hailed by the culture as this and def- and then boxed in by it, right? Because now you're this kind of person who buys these kinds of things... And define yourself this way just because you fucking signed up for, you know, Joko Maniacs. All of a sudden, <laughs> now, you know, you're getting sold these particular kind of, like, hipster tampons or whatever. Um, <laughs> That's well, not the title of the episode. They have little mustaches on them. I guess my issue is less with the artist uh, yeah, and right. more with the community where, like, um, and, and I guess I just see this in every community I join. Um, you know, like <laughs> now we're learning something. <laughs> no, I mean, I just have, I have like, you know, like everyone else, we have shit to do. And instead, I think all communities have this aspect once they get big enough where it's this like, well, I was here first and I know these things mm-hmm. and I have all this cred and I met this person. And, right. and, and it becomes insular in that it doesn't, it, 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 it then stops being quite so well. I mean, it was welcome to newcomers as long as you, as a newcomer, you, you uh, accept all of the uh, the history and premises, and you're and you're willing to uh, sort of. Uh, but that's what you're joining. Like I guess to me, it feels like the bigger something gets, the more accessible it becomes. Actually, but, but, it does, but, but there's also that countervailing force that that makes it less accessible. I think, I think it's not necessarily big. I mean, I don't know if there's like a a tipping point of numbers, but I feel like there's there's a point where it gets where it's less about the art and more about getting badges or getting you know getting right cred right and that's for me where i could care i i'm out yeah i think a lot of people feel that way but i think for, you know if you know organizations to function need people to to keep keep the history right but do this those, isn't hold on yeah, yeah do okay. those things right like you know most bands don't have two band leaders there's a reason sure. for that someone needs to fucking get you know book the hotels whatever right and the same thing goes with like an online community or whatever they're going to be people there who care about that part of it. And it can be insular because they want you to buy into the entire thing just by participating and a little. I, I guess I get the impression that there are people who don't care about it anymore, but have just found a way to 
impose their weird mania like of getting badges um and i'm using that as a sort of a euphemism um but like uh i i guess i feel like whether it would be a sports team you know whether it's a band they really like you you get the impression that this person no matter where what their interest is now is only is only in it not because because they're actually into whatever it is, but because they're into being that guy. So you're just you're, so this. I think my earlier critique sense you're very upset with the way consumer culture functions. I but mean, I ultimately, don't necessarily because it's, it's oriented around consuming things then rather than enjoying things, right? It's not oriented even around earning. Well, that's well, but there is consumption not, to it. I, I think that's a fair point. Things, it's consumption, yeah. right? Like the mode in which you take in the world, right? Right. Is through the idea of consuming. Right, right, right. So, and this is like the fear people had about whatever you want to call it, like postmodernism or post-capitalist stuff, right? Is that ultimately everything is a mall. Everything you do is oriented around buying or consuming in a way that is not about art in any kind of abstract sense or or, or community in any abstract sense. Right, and it's a badge or talisman in and of itself. Right, and I think most people that isn't the case. I don't know. I mean, I don't think we can say that. Now we're switching sides. Wait. (laughs) No, I think for most people, though, no, I mean, for most people it isn't the case that they need to, like, you know, they can go to the mall and buy things without having to like make a video about all the things they bought. No, but they just but they just buy something that has a nice big logo on it, so it's very sure. clear what they bought. Sure. Or like if you go to visit the Louvre, you're probably gonna buy something to remember that you went there, right? It's not like you're just gonna be like, I'm just gonna live with my memories of this amazing painting. Like I'm going to have this button and this tchotchke and this thing, like a badge, but, right? Right. A but thing that says I'm part of this cultured group of people who did this sure, thing. Sure. You know, or I bought the NPR. Not I didn't personally. Or you know, you get the mm-hmm. NPR tote bag. Or right. But there's a difference between not listening to NPR and then calling in just to get the NPR tote bag, or going to the Louvre just to go to the gift shop to buy that shit, so that like you put it on your your refrigerator and girls come over and you're like, yeah, I went to the Louvre. Like I think. There's a difference between actually going to the Louvre, well, enjoying it, and I being think, like, "I'm going to take it something to remember my time." But I think I think we're getting away from. I mean, I think we were actually approaching something, and we we kind of derailed a little bit because I think that I mean I, I agree with Kyle that we are sort of we, we we are basically coming up against the critique of 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 capitalist culture, right? But I think what we were trying to what we were kind of getting closer to is this tension, right? Mm-hmm. This tension that between People wanting community, which which I don't think we're we're arguing against, and, and even communities. You should all be hermits on an right. island. And those communities are sort of in it, are against that capitalist structure. Right, a lot of them exist to reduce enemy. Right, to bring people together. So right. they're not only about consumption, but about an artistic thing. Or but ultimately, interest. it seems like there's this point at which many of them fail in that right. in that endeavor. Right, so they fall back to. Right. So so if we take like, you know, say Jonathan Colton, right? And I'm not going to blame him for now making half a million dollars a year. Oh god. No. But but then he does have to maintain that. Or you know, he may feel as though he has to maintain that or there's a strong impulse for him to maintain that. Not only for his own welfare and his family's welfare, but as well because he's there are all these expectations placed upon him. And again, for that to continue, he can't you know, sure, he may be able to stick with the same 10,000 fans, but that, that will not be sufficient because some of them are going to fade and he's going to have to get new ones. And, you know, it, it, it requires it ultimately to turn into, like, the Beatles fan club. Um, I, I guess, yeah. I mean, I agree to an extent, but, like, 
I guess I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> I don't have a problem with anything he's doing. None or not that. him, but like the community around it, right? Like if the joke maniacs with that at all. you know, continue to exist in this way, yeah. whether they buy things or not, I think is good. Like something like even like, you know, so I know we've talked about this before. Jenny's like sort of into maximum fun. Yeah. And Jesse Thorne, and so am I. And but I'm not like a super active member of the community, right? No. Even though I consume the podcast, I listen to it, I'm part of that world. I would consider myself a fan, but you know, I don't make homemade shit and send it to him or whatever, right? Like, which is cool. I, I, I actually really respect him. I just don't, right. you know? So, but I like that that community exists in the way that it exists, even though I don't participate in it. Sure. And it kind of is it purposefully, I think, articulated as not about just consuming the thing, whether it's even downloading it or even, you know, wearing the badge or whatever, but like actually having as much real interaction, quote unquote, as you can. Uh, well, and I think they've done a good job of um, not making it about... You know, oh, I once met so and so. Like at, mm-hmm. I've only gone to one meetup for them, and it was very like, yeah, I'm Jordan. Like this is, you know, this is what we do. Yeah, right, right. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't like only certain people get to talk to me, or and mm-hmm. I mean, maybe if it was a larger community, that would be different, and maybe that's the issue. But I guess for everything yeah. you just described about, you know, the Jonathan Colton community, that doesn't bother me. I guess for me, it's that, especially with like nerd based culture. I mean. That there now is this introduction, just like there, I, I guess there used to be a situation where, oh, it's all a bunch of nerds, and it, there's not going to be someone who's going to alpha fight for dominance uh, for in in a lot of online situations. But now I think it's like because nerd culture is so cool, um, so maybe it's just that I haven't experienced it a ton. Mm. But now because nerd culture is so cool, like I feel like there's this influx of people who used to be like the guy who made fun of you for being bad at kickball who now has to be in there and be like well yeah i have every um vinyl pressing and i have um all of this and i have you know who's making it a game well there's always status seeking in every community so of course. I, I think this, i don't think i don't think it is fair or accurate to say within any nerd culture be it star trek fans comic book fans star wars fans no, that I'm there sure wasn't it always existed. status seeking what i what i think maybe is 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 pernicious is when people who are experienced status status seekers or who you know that's been a strong part of their identity latch on to this new area because they can indeed achieve status or yeah it's a really easy status. place to achieve status and i think that's for me the issue where it's like are you even interested in this thing or is this just you know i guess i i, I do agree with that of course and the status seeking can be frustrating if you're part of something that you feel like, you know, intimately involved with in some way. Right. And, but I do think on the other hand, it allows someone who maybe was locked into some other kind of identity that they, you know, like, I don't think bullies come necessarily from a good place. Right. So the kind of people you're talking about who would like shit on nerd culture, say it's stupid or gay or whatever. Right. They may themselves be locked into like their own culture that has its own expectations and its own sort of types that they find very limiting. And though they may, become part of nerd culture or whatever, right? You, like you said, like, you know, start collecting some shit and be like, well, I have all the sealed boxes for, you know, whatever, like the X-Men or something, right? Uh, it allows them to actually participate in it in a way that they can be something else, right? Like, it actually lets them into a culture that maybe they do really like. And maybe never... they were closeted. That, yeah, like, right. That's, that's like a Republican like... congressman who is is getting blowjobs at the park. It is, and I, but I, I think it's Could probably be, true yeah. that, that that there was that there were the the kid in high school who really would have liked to have been playing Dungeons and Dragons, but 
uh, and maybe did with like a cousin or something, right? right? Somewhere outside of the view of peers, but because he also wanted to be, you know, on on a particular sports team or wanted, you know, these other friends, felt as though he he couldn't express that side of himself. I mean, I think that's that's probably true. Um, well, I just feel like the it, the way the, the way in which sort of the internet intersects with like these existing cultures or existing groups allows more people to get in in, in both of those ways, right? In the sort yeah. of talismanic way and in the sort of I think sort of outlet way where they're like, oh, I'm this. That's like that great scene from uh, Freaks and Geeks, right? Where spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it. So you know, uh, James Franco's character ends up playing D and D with the nerds, right? He's like the burnout drinking sexy guy, right? He looks like James Franco, so. And he loves it, right? He gets to play this character literally in another game and be someone else because he hates his own life, right? It, it, you know, the metaphor of that show is like, yeah, teenagers are all fucking alienated. They're all feeling this way. It's just that some of them react in a way that is totally unproductive and totally unhealthy, right? Right. I mean, and of course, you know, I mean, we can't count out the fact that, you know, with regard to the canonical nerd culture, the reason why it is popular at this point is is because it is a big money maker, right? It And it, it, yeah. this isn't... It, it isn't some sort of organic groundswell. Um, it, 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 there, I mean, I, it's not a conspiracy either, but it's a number of forces that 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 came together, well, driven in large part by the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. driven in large part by dollar signs, sure. you know, that we're seeing, you know, with regard to, uh, you know, most recently, I think all of the superhero movies. Oh yeah, you know, and and so that and, and it does expose people to a lot of these things, but you're also not seeing the same groundswell of popularity in Dungeons and Dragons right now. For instance, like there are other aspects of nerd I don't culture. No, I mean I feel like it's uh, far more cool. I mean, I, it's not nearly like mainstream, but it's super cool to be like. I mean, cool. Quote, I think Dungeons quote, and Dragons people. is still a punchline. No, but like role playing games, though. Like Dungeons and Dragons, like as itself a game might be, okay. but like people play these fucking massive adults, multiplayer online games, yeah. right? That are essentially Dungeons and Dragons. And adults are very open about it now, right? But they're video games, right? It sort of latches on to something which was already. An existing, sure. an existing and popular culture, right? There's, there, there's not like a single pro athlete who's ever hidden the fact that he's into video games in the last. But it's 30 no years. longer, it's no longer but role like, playing games are their own thing. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, but it's no longer uncool as an adult to say you you don't have to hide the fact that you read comic books. Whereas I feel like 15 years ago, it it you didn't have to, but you would have been like, oh, that guy reads comic books. Yeah, you'd be like, yeah. he molests little sure. kids or yeah. yeah some it would come with some other cultural cachet you don't right. want right right I, I, but paul you're like comparing video games and board games right like i think just board games don't get played on boards anymore like people who play monopoly played on their phone well and so even I, board I, games, you know what i mean so yeah. i don't know that matters that much i mean even board game. games now are like way cool well i'd say uh, no i was saying it doesn't matter that, i mean it matters that it's a video game in that it has broadened it and and you know and video games has made it cool because it's video games and video games are were already more broadly acceptable that's all that's all i'm really saying oh i i do think there is something to the idea that role-playing games themselves are mm-hmm. and i think even you know we were talking about this at brunch a little bit today in a sort of comedic way but like role-playing itself is kind of and i guess it's in one way what we're talking about right like taking on this sort of characteristics of a community or you know an orc or whatever the fuck you want to do is a lot of what our culture is about like trying on identities like we've moved from sort of like broadly right so uh, with sexuality especially but like identities being sort of fixed right. right that you are this essential person and you have these characteristics and you are this right you know gay straight you know power bottom whatever right fat skinny smart dumb and like, we've kind of evolved to a more kind of culturally constructed view like we we accept to some degree the the flexibility of right. identity and i think it allows 
bullies and whatever, you know. And it has, I agree with Jenny, like, there's certainly some shitty parts. Like, well, the guy used to, you know, kick dirt in your face and suddenly, you know, wants to be the coolest guy in the Max Fun form. You're like, maybe or, that's great or it's awful. Or, I mean, like, the fact that fantasy football is a cool thing, you know, now. Mm-hmm. That you're, that, like, every person who is into fantasy football, which is essentially statistical role-playing, yep. uh, is very proud about it. And I'm also a power bottom in fantasy football. Is that weird? Really? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to find but like out. someone depends on who's the but top. But like the fact that like last night someone said I can't come to brunch with you because I have a fantasy pick. Yeah, right, right, right. And like the the idea that that was like a completely socially acceptable thing. Like, oh yeah, no, that's reasonable. Like you have to do that thing of that is fake. And, and that's a good thing, right? Yeah, to me. no, I think that's so. Like, but I still like we were we were kind of coming up again. We were peaking towards. Uh, a phenomenon that I still want to go back to, and, and I'll and I'll re try to re uh, go back to it, but through a, a different example. And I say, for example, I was very involved with the indie media movement in the early two thousands and late nineties, right? Which was this independent media center <laughs> movement, grew out of uh, the battle in Seattle in uh, nineteen ninety nine at the WTO, right? And, and was uh, for for a moment a a, a fairly um, a rich you know, like become the media movement where we, where, you know, what we take for granted with YouTube was sort of invented in that movement. The idea that there would be websites and anyone could upload content of share, which we're all like, sure, whatever. But that just simply did not exist in 1999. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then it was the the parallel effort to um, create actual physical media centers or temporary centers where people could learn how to use cameras and all this sort of equipment that now again we all have on a phone but 10 12 years ago was a bit more esoteric and harder to learn and it brought together nerds in particular who 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 were had political goals and and were very interested in in opening up like things that were closed to people who either had capital or knew how to program Mm -hmm. so at that time a very small number of people bring this all out and it, I thought it, it, it brought together people who had been who had done community access television, community radio, with with the geeks and the nerds who had, who were who could program and various people who could fund it, and and it had a lot of potential. But it it also in my time, by the time I sort of faded out of it by two thousand five, I it also felt increasingly like we had become insular, and so it it went from the sort of like the whole idea behind this is that anyone can publish to anyone can publish the right things mm-hmm. to you know the it sort became of about like, output instead of access well and all, right it became about output instead of access and it also became about you know it became a little more ideologically driven mm-hmm. like the ideology and, started getting narrower and narrower right and that for me is like when you describe that you're th- you're saying that as insularity and i guess my feeling is it's about agenda um like there are people well, the who, agenda changed well but no, because there are people who came to that with a political agenda instead of the agenda that you would all stated, like, let's make this open. Because I guess my experience, I also have several experiences with indie media, and they are protesting or breaking up something I was going to, um, you know, preventing people from speaking, which to me is a not a news thing well, to do. It's a political agenda thing. Like, they just disagreed with the people who were It's a very open and multi multitudinous sort of movement and it, right, depends, right. and it, and it kind of depends on what year you but that, I'm that saying, happened like, i think that that's it's this i had a similar experience in that it was the the stated purpose was let's go cover these news events um that people aren't hearing about which i totally respect mm-hmm. and agree with and instead it became let's stop people we disagree with from speaking which 
I think yeah, no I one no one would agree with. You and know? there were active debates, <laughs> like you know, there were really active debates, at least in in the sector I was involved in in Urbana-Champaign, where at least we it was really under discussion as to, and and, and mostly. Uh, for for you know maybe you're the more moderate end of it being you know in Champaign Urbana as opposed to Portland. Eugene or Portland, we we definitely came down more on the side of more speech is is better, um but but it, but it, what I saw in the movement and that was not just in Champaign Urbana but it was as the as in in certain at least in North America because it was definitely global and expressed differently in the global South or even in Europe, um that it it, it got increasingly insular and and, I- and, and, and increasingly exclusionary. In a certain way, and that it was a bit more like we all agree on this, right? And 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 that's what I and I see in in, in a obviously less political or outwardly and explicitly political way. I see the same thing happen in in these sub communities is that they become insular and maybe not on purpose, but but they do. Oh, hi. Uh, You've reached the halfway point of episode number 18 of Jenny and Paul Sell Out. This is Paul here to remind you that we're online and stuff. Uh, leave us comments about the program at our website, selloutpodcast.com, or on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash selloutpodcast, where you could like us, because apparently we all just want to be liked. We'd be really happy if you'd rate us on iTunes. And we'd be ecstatic if you'd leave a review uh, so that other people would know they'd want to listen to us and we can slowly build our own insular little empire. Join us, won't you? But first, uh, keep listening. Yeah, and I guess I still see it as like agenda-driven where it's like, oh, there's an insular community that's really cool, you know, that likes Jonathan Colton. Oh, I see this as a thing I can totally, you know, I come to it not with the agenda of, I really like this piece of art, but I come to it with the agenda of like, I'm going to collect every piece of art and be the coolest person in this. In but this, do you group. think people do that explicitly? Do you think anyone actually has that? I mean, you're I, giving I, people I, a lot of credit yeah. for understanding their own emotional <laughs> state. Yeah, I, I mean, say, I don't like, think so. I guess, if they're f- filling that need. I don't think they're doing it that quite right. I think yeah. it's and, 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 and I, yeah, I don't think it's so contrived. Sure, but I guess I feel like that. I know personally, like maybe one or two people who is like this, and they do it in every single community they're a part of. Right, like right, but I don't think again. It's not. I don't think. They realize they're coming to the community. Right. No, I totally no. agree. And, and, and so I think, you know, I, I, I kind of, I mean, intention to me doesn't matter uh, in, in some ways because intention is fleeting and it, and even in for ourselves, our intentions for why we're involved in anything or doing anything can often shift and change. Yeah, I don't think it's even their intention to right. do that. Right. So yeah. exactly. So I, I kind of, that's why I'm a little more interested in, in, in outcomes in, in, in sort of seeing how, you know, these things which may start in one way, turn another way. And those are the times when, you know, at least me as a person, I start going, wow, I'm a little more uncomfortable with this. Or, you know, if not uncomfortable, it's more like, wow, I used to really kind of enjoy this this culture, or I used to enjoy this sort of sector of culture, but now I feel like it's gotten insular. It gets, it's it's getting to be too much. Uh, and, and, and I think partly it, it is probably a capitalist function because it, it needs to continue to exist and uh, for yeah, its own terms. Yeah, but I think the capitalist function of any community is not to become more insular. It's to become wider. 
I mean, well, yes and no. I mean, it, to a degree, it's the final. Well, I'm not saying it's the intention then, for it to become right. insular, but I'm saying that's an outcome. Sure, it could be, but I mean, I think the more if it's uh, super successful, it becomes wider and wider and wider. And I think the communities we've discussed have only become wider and wider, not not more insular. So it's funny. It, 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 Made me think of two things. Uh, well, actually, one thing that reminded me of two conversations. One we had at brunch again today about suburbs, right? So I study the suburbs. We are, f- I think, all of us from suburbs. Are Jay from the city proper? A little bit of both. A little bit. Okay, a little bit of both. Either way, you've been to a suburb. Uh, <laughs> I've lived in a suburb. You really, they're hard to find. It's I currently live in a suburb. Oh, right. Okay. So, but the idea, right? So in the 1950s, when suburbanization really sort of picks up mass tract housing, right? All the stuff. They, that would be described as an insular community, right? Of of people who are all very similar, Columbia, Maryland, shared similar values, right? And, and it chose to be there to a large degree, um, but it was also structured in a way by the prevailing sort of forces of economics and government, right? Like it wasn't just about choice or just about desire or difference or something about race or class, but like the government basically said, it's much easier for white people to move here. We're going to make it super cheap, and we're and it's going to fix a lot of these other problems we have. But it's for these people, uh, and it, and and what eventually happens right in thirty years is like what Paul was talking about was his sort of frustration with growing up, you know, thirty years down the line in the seventies and eighties, and being like, oh my god, this place is this kind of classist, insular, cultureless place because of those like forces set in motion thirty. Because years it was before. intentionally made that way, right? In the same way that like you know the special thing forums that I'm on, like everybody who's on it hates it. But they're still on it. But there's like, oh, it's just not like it used to be, you know, like it doesn't have the pureness or whatever that it had um, that, you know, because sociologists of the 50s and 60s actually found most suburbanites were pretty fucking happy. They were like, yeah, I love it. I love my refrigerator. I love my car. I love my wife. I'm super satisfied. I'm and they were happy to be like each other, like literally in a demographic, but also sort of political religious sense. Right. Even though the rest of the culture was saying like this place is all like what Paul's critique essentially, you know. It's this awful cultureless, you know, place where you have to be friends with your neighbor. Uh, they actually wanted to be there, right? In this right. strange way. Um, I don't know what my ultimate point is, but it reminded me of that. Sort well, of I guess cycle. for me, I feel like it's it's the opposite of becoming insular. It's like this community was awesome when I knew everyone by name when we were besties. Mm-hmm. But now that like anyone can move into my community, eh, not, but that's not, not what like, I mean. Actually, so by insular, I do not necessarily mean inaccessible, right? Uh, and I think that. Um, in the same way that that Scientology can grow as a religion, but still be insular, right? I got you. right. It, it can still. It can. I guess still, is what I meant. Suburbs are similar in that. Yeah. Way, and right? No, I was following yeah, that sorry, trend, right? And so, by insularity, I mean is that there's a certain uh, closing of the ranks and establishment of class, even perhaps. Like here are our stars, right? And so we've gone from maybe something which was a little flat, where uh, you know say, in podcasting, and, and it was really driven a bit by this sort of like, well, anyone can do it kind of thing. So now we have our podcasting stars, and they all know each other, and they go on each other's podcasts. And this is this is a gross distortion, I think, of reality sure. at the moment. <laughs> but, you know, and and then therefore there and then there aren't really new entries into this sphere right that and and because everyone knows each other and we now have established our stars and maybe there's way more listeners and maybe there's you know by an order by magnitudes you know tens of thousands of listeners and millions but there's fewer and fewer people making it and there's fewer and fewer people uh who are you know who, so they, they, they we we can grow big consumer bases but we don't sort of draw bigger maker creator you know participant bases and because i think that 
this part of culture that we were starting with, right, where Jonathan Colton, I think, is an example, and I, and I, again, it's not him personally. Part of what was cool about Jonathan Colton to a lot of people was like, well, he's just some nerd programmer who started writing good, you know, good songs to put them on the internet. <laughs> the problem is then, though, is where is that the idea, in a way, one would receive as, and meant let a, a million Jonathan Coltons bloom. But in the end, and still, we we just end up with well, there's Jonathan Colton, and he hangs out with Hodgman, but there's not a thousand Hodgmans, and he and they all know, you know. Well, there is, I think I think there is something to be said for talent, right? Like no, that, absolutely. Like there are not like a thousand anything's really. You but know. there's often way more than you. I mean, but someone would have said, "Well, when's a programmer gonna? You know, he's a programmer. How's he gonna become?" Yeah, a but musician? I guess my point is there are probably lots of programmers writing songs and recording them that are not good and are not famous and no one knows about. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I mean, I, well, I, and I think I'd be very surprised if there were. And I think 30 years ago, someone would have said, "There's only one Weird Al." And now I think there's lots of people who do very similar things to what Weird Al does. And I sure. think a lot of people would include Jonathan Coleman. Well, and there were when Weird Al was doing it. I mean, right, but I mean, like, <laughs> that's even, why he was able to but, do it, right? But we I mean, only remember the people who are good at it or, right, or right. famous or both. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, and, and I don't want to discount but talent. I'm or, saying people would have said there was only w- one space for that kind of person. Mm-hmm. And sure. And I think now, obviously, there's more than one space, right? We hope. We well, hope. there's one, there's space for Jonathan Colton, and then there's also space for jillions of people on youtube who get billions of hits and make money off of their sure. parody song you're right and 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 we're and we're not actually giving you're right i i am giving short shrift to that because it's it, it is existing in another sphere to which i don't often access which i'm which i'm not often in but i think you're right i think that that that's actually a good counter argument towards that because there are venues and places where this is happening you know or like the the, the 10,000 guys who are recording their own, you know, uh, heavy metal guitar reinterpretations of, of classical, which which there's millions of them on freaking YouTube, right? right? No, we like, right. here's, you know, here's my interpretation of this Paganini suite, you know? Well, okay, so I um, dated someone who was in the nuclear science field, and we were just talking historically about the field, and if you think about it, even, you know, if you don't know a ton about nuclear science, um, you know, the big names of, like, the beginning of nuclear science were definite minorities women jews people who were immigrants to america who could hardly speak english but who could do really awesome science and that seems really i i was like that seems really weird to me like why is like fermi and curie like why are they like the stars of this this thing um even to the point where the like u.s government did all this research into them to make sure they weren't spies because they you know um and it was because no one wanted to do it it was like this terrible goofy science everyone made fun of like Oh, that's just some startup thing that's never going anywhere. And now, I mean, according to this person, not his words, not mine, um, you know, anytime you go to anything, nuclear regulatory commu- commission, it's a bunch of old white guys. Like, that's it. There's no more women. There's no more ethnics. It's like old waspy dudes. And it's like, oh, well, okay, maybe, maybe there's this um, sort of generation of anything where First, when it's not important or interesting, those alpha sort of people don't want to be involved. So there's these like superstars who in no other realm would be superstars because they're not the people who got into it because they got into it to be like the alpha. Um, they got into it because they're just super psyched about, you know, d d well, And or- again, you're sort of getting to the history of sort of organizations, right? Institutionalization of anything will then reflect the broader um, discriminations of the culture, right? So... Uh, part of the reason those people are the are, are women, minorities, immigrants, right, 
are because they're coming from places that had better structures around scientific learning. So, but you know, coming to the United States in that period, our educational system is not the best. Well, um, and I don't even think it's that. It's that they were like, well, if they're hard to do science, yeah, they no, had I, to do I that. Agree, but they're like, yeah. I'm not going to make it in you know whatever sure. plastics or whatever. <laughs> right, right. Uh, no, totally. But, but so when they do come and it is, does become a field, right? Yeah. And it gets institutionalized with organizations and universities. They're then going to reflect that. Most sure. of the people going to college and most of the people getting a PhD in uh, in nuclear science, probably a white guy. And all of them got irradiated anyway, so they yeah, die good. early. Yeah, fuck them. So, and they're dumb balls. So basically, what you're saying is that is that uh, the the another parallel is Pat Boone. Yeah, right, right, right. The, exactly the, the co-optation of a music that that was, you know, in many many ways popularly suppressed and discriminated against. Um, although, but then became popular. And so then, you know, it was like, okay, well, we need somebody who is much safer, uh, much more acceptable, becoming, you know, the star in good this hair. Realm. Has good hair, straight of course. Hair. Very good hair. Good, good straight hair. Uh, being the, 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 uh, the person up front, more so than Elvis, because Elvis still wasn't very, people forget Elvis Too by scary. class was not acceptable. <laughs> so but then the other point is, Culture kind of then eventually it takes a long time usually to reorient itself, right? So yeah. we get affirmative action, we get the kinds of institutional things that can change that. Because I, you know, I work at a tech university and they're dying to admit and hire women, right? Right. Particularly, but we also a lot of the school now, you know, engineering stereotype, Asian of of all varieties, South and Eastern Asian, Chinese, like every version, right, are there rather than you know white guys. So it's I mean it does eventually turn around. Sure. But I, but I think I wonder if in these sorts of communities, that's where we're at. Like, especially right. I think podcasting is a great example where it's like a bunch of random people who couldn't get like their comedy out any other way because mm-hmm. they couldn't be on TV or whatever. So then they did this podcast and then and I'm not even saying like it's an ethnic thing or even yeah, a sure. gender thing. But like so there's that first wave of people who are like, well, fuck it. I have nothing to lose. So I'm going to do this. Um, and yeah, in the then, same way that like UCB Theater or like the Pit in New York it gave people like a free space essentially to put up shows. Right. Like, they don't make any money on those shows, but somebody like W. Kamau Bell can do his show, you know, or at this club in San Francisco, and then get a TV show from it eventually, right? Because he's doing really interesting, you know, relatively edgy stuff that, like you said, it is not marketable really. Otherwise. Right, and then second wave is like for some reason, like lots of TV shows now have a podcast, an official podcast, even though there's like no, absolutely no reason. <laughs> For there to be a podcast. I'd love to it. hear about LL Cool J on, uh, you know, what is that? Uh, NC... NCIS. NCIS, oh. yeah. I, I like to hear him lick his lips. How, how <laughs> I Met Your Mother has a podcast, which I was like, this is so unnecessary. Like, why right. does this exist? And and that's, you know, and that's... I, I don't particularly have a problem with it. And that no, I, I don't think, have a problem with it. Yeah. But it can get... It, I think instead of being... I think it can really alienate people to that first... to To do or join... You know, I think people who were in there in that first wave, it's sort of alienating. It is. Yeah. And and again, even like I would argue that the comedians, uh, whether it's uh, Nerdist and Chris Hardwick or Mark Maron, they're, they're not first wave podcasters. No. First wave podcasters started in, you know, the mid 2000s. And, 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 you know, podcasting was declared dead three years later because, you know, it seemed like there's all this initial excitement and then. Yeah. And no one had monetized it. So they nobody, were like, well, right. this isn't a thing. Right. Really, the only person who had monetized it by then was uh, Leo Laporte. Who does, who is the very tech oriented this week in tech twit network? Yeah, ne- never not funny was pretty close on the heels for subscription. Yeah, and Ricky Gervais I think eventually went subscription. As yeah, well. but that but that came that came like, much later. Well, yeah, like oh seven. Yeah, 
Well, which, you know. Well, well I think actual radio shows that did podcasts also did. Yeah, yeah right. That's right. There Your was. Art Bell or Coast to Coast, which yeah. is not yeah, Art Bell anymore. Yeah, which they didn't even really call po- podcasts at the time. No. Because it was, I mean, really podcasting as a, as a medium that, that cohered in like 2005. I mean, I was putting my radio shows online in 2003 to syndicate to uh, other low power so stations. Scheme to talk about how you were first. Yeah, wasn't I wasn't though because it wasn't podcasting. Although you could listen to it online, right? But it wasn't. Yeah. I it, it didn't utilize the there was the RSS feed features didn't exist, so it wasn't easy for someone to subscribe. Exactly. They had to go check the website every whenever they they'd think of it. Yeah, so the medium. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, well, and it's that innovation that makes it a medium. And so I don't really, you know, while I joked that it was podcasting before it was podcasting, it was missing the crucial uh, syndication technology to make it a real reliable medium in the same but way. my feeling is okay so if you are an artist of any kind you're a podcaster or you're a singer or whatever um you need that first wave of people obviously and then you do need that second wave of like badge people um but not even badge people but people who who already have some notoriety you know coming in and yeah and taking yeah sure it over. sure um like people who come into it with an agenda Let's say. Well, everyone comes into it with an agenda. With, but I mean, with a non non, it's not just based on how much you love the art. I don't. I, again, I I'm really contested that the, that there are people who who come into it with that intention. Okay, right. But I'm trying to make a greater point. So okay, you <laughs> but, but, but second, I don't. I'm not, right, <laughs> that's fine. Okay, that's fine. But for, so there's that second wave. But I guess my my issue is like that. Maybe we should look at communities should look at that second wave because i feel like it it doesn't actually help you grow the community in if you do want to monetize it if you do want to make more money um i'm not sure it doesn't help either that first or second wave so if if uh you have a group of people who like your thing and then a new group of people start making this product that they don't really like um that sort of prevents a lot of that first group is probably going to get out of there like um you know if if i'm trying to think of it in terms of like you know i for my joko example is great like i really like his music i would like to give him money in the process of giving him money i was exposed to this really really annoying group of people mm-hmm. that makes me never want to say i like that band how are you exposed to them i had to sign up for the forum to pay money to oh, buy okay. this album right like and in the process of doing that it's like a lot of people snarking about how into this group they are and you know and it's just like i mean and that could be really easily eliminated on his part but <laughs> but there's things like that i feel like in every community where you know um i mean craft beer is a great example too to me where it's like i really like the i really like drinking beer i really like talking to my friends about beer when i have to get in lines for five hours to drink the newest beer I'm out. That makes me want to go get a Pabst. Like that has, I have zero interest in that. I have zero interest in it as a personality, as a um, mark of honor or, you know, a badge. Right. I mean, there are people who are status seeking in general and it does, I don't think it means that they are not sincerely appreciative of whatever thing it is that they're seeking status in, but that status seeking is a higher value to them than perhaps it is to others and like we said earlier i think their intention does not ex- exactly right. matter to me it's more that like it's the results you have to look yeah <laughs> you outcomes. have to look at that because i feel like uh for you know it doesn't help podcasting that there's all these shitty podcasts and instead of instead of um you know actually helping people learn how to download a podcast which they still don't know how to do 
there's now just way too many in iTunes and no one can find what they actually want. And they're like listening to this shitty podcast that's about a TV show they like instead of actually like good content. But that's Which, not, I mean, but, but that's if that's what they want to listen right? to, like, that's fine. Paul and I have discussed this before about sort of podcasting networks, like how they're starting to just podcasting is starting to mimic traditional media institutional structures because they work, right? They allow people to find things more easily. It, it pools resources, right? You know, economies of scale, all these things. And exactly the problem you're having, right? Because like, right. so like Earwolf or Feral Audio is like, all right, we create a brand or a name that you can find now. And so you can go to our website. You don't even have to go to iTunes or you can go to iTunes. And you get everything we do because you like it, right? In the same way that if you like CBS shows, they probably have right. their fucking pod corner for every dumb CBS show, right? Like, Right, and 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 if you, you like, like it, it is about your interest, right? Right, and it's true. Like Earwolf, I, I mean, I li- I don't really listen to many of their podcasts regularly. So I have Fulgonest Fires files, I guess now. But generally speaking, right, they they there's a threshold of quality, if only technical quality to some extent. Sure, but even even generally speaking, their hosts seem to be good, and they don't keep a podcast going forever if it doesn't seem to be working. I mean, they seem to either let them die or they don't kind of. Force them to keep going on. I think it's like Jenny's point too. A lot of people get into it and they think, "I want to do this as a great way to get exposure." And they're like, "Oh my god, I don't, I don't enjoy this, or it's hard, or, or both." Right, yeah, I'm just right. not good I mean, at it. I know. need to do it regularly, right. and and it's just yeah. not a matter of just. Well, and on the other hand, I'm sure, I, and I have this experience with like the Max Fun Network, where I'm like, "Stop pimping this thing. I don't care about. I know they're your friends. I don't care. I never want to listen to it." stop having them on your shows they're on every fifth show right like that's for me like and i think that's and that's again uh mm. not and i don't want to call it like first wave but like yeah, yeah. that's a like hey i this has nothing to do with me this is just now this second pimping wave yeah i was thinking earlier about podcasting as a, as an art though right like is there because you we were talking about like the podcasting of radio shows is that really podcasting or is it just the syndication of a radio show via another medium whereas podcasting is the intentional creation of something for this distribution model that is not broadcast in the same way as a radio show. And I think it is actually its own thing that way. And I think that's why I like Earwolf and others because mm-hmm. they are trying to create, because he started out of the radio station, right? Like comedy, bang, bang, originally comedy death ray was broadcast. And then it became a podcast. And he was like, well, the podcast is way better than the radio show. Like I can do more. I have more freedom. I don't have to go to this dumb studio. Like there's nobody telling me what to do. And it became a much better show because of it, I, I think, anyway. But I think that line is rapidly erasing. I mean, I think for me, I, and I, I know I'm in a particular situation, but, like, I watch all of my TV on my laptop. Right. Um, I download it. So, like, for me, if it's, you know, something I watch on Hulu or if it's something I download totally legally. Right, of course. Or if it's something that's, like, on YouTube, like, there's no difference of those things to me. Mm-hmm. Like, that, I don't care who produces them. I would like to easily get all of them, and that would be really helpful if I could. But, um, well, I, I and for I, me, there's no difference between like I never, I don't own a radio until recently. I did not own a radio, much to uh, someone's chagrin. Um, <laughs> and so I would download NPR podcasts, or well, I guess radio shows and podcasts. Sure. And for me, I have no connection between which ones are podcasts and which ones are their actual but the big, there is a difference and, and I, I, I the difference that it's important right is is the structural barrier right so the structural barrier to creating a podcast is tremendously lower than the structural barrier of creating a radio show even a radio show that airs on low power fm or community radio because there is still comparatively fewer opportunities sure less airtime than there is uh, living rooms and cheap microphones. And on the creator Amazon. side, I totally agree with you. I'm yeah. saying from the consumptive side, I could care less. I'm just wondering if, if it is <laughs> an art form. Is, is it a unique 
medium or not. And, and I mean, it might not matter, right? So some, I'm sure right. for a lot of people, it makes no difference at all. Uh, but I think if someone can find a way to cr- do something that is unique or mm-hmm. new or is changes the structure of the medium in some way, uh, which, again, I think they're trying to do with, like, video podcasting has kind of come back now, right? Like, right. Well, that was a discussion around home video in the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Because the, the, you actually saw and, – and, and it never seemed to take off as well, but there were definitely video magazines, right? And there were definitely, you know, attempts to create, uh, you know, videotape media that was separate from television and movies that was mm-hmm. created specifically for video and in some cases not merely just direct to video like you know here's a movie but much more like uh i, I have a compilation uh, of uh dope guns and fucking up your video deck which is uh there was a label up in um minneapolis called amphetamine reptile and they 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 released the first helmet record for instance and they they were really you know pivotal in sort of noise rock in the in the uh, 80s and early 90s and that was a guy the guy behind the label was a kind of brilliant early kind of network marketer Mm -hmm. he knew that he created this brand behind his label and that people who were into like what the music like helmet and that kind of rock generally liked the cows and other bands that were on his on his label so and he said, well, well, then we, you know, we're never going to get an MTV, but I can shoot my own shit. I got a warehouse behind my store and I can get some video record, you know, stuff. And we'll do basically, you know, a TV show kind of like that might air on public access. Mm-hmm. Only I'm going to just put it on a videotape because I, think I already even, have a distribution network because I release records. I think there's actually an even better example now, which is skateboarding videos. Yeah. Like they're made specifically came for later. that market. Yeah. But, the, but they were that, they right, were that yeah. thing. They were like, they were made to be consumed that way. They had their own style. And they were very much like magazines. Yeah, they were definitely influenced. They were made by people who made magazines, at least starting out. The, the, the like videographers Thrasher, yeah. were usually photographers. Yeah. Uh, but the music, like, you know, and to a degree, like MTV was kind of new in the way that it used the mm-hmm. medium. But so I think podcasting and, and video podcasting, you know, fall back into that tradition where we're, we're taking, you know, a, a medium which is a little bit different and new and has certain features and trying to really anchor on those features, especially because those features are what made it more accessible and unique as compared to existing broadcast technologies. But I guess my feeling is the more it's similar to something you already want the uh, from a consumption side, mm-hmm. the more that will work. Sure. Um, I oh, mean, yeah, in agreed. terms of like, you know, Howard Stern. I mean, that's a great yeah. serious example. No one would ever want to get that until it's something you already wanted and can't get anymore. Or, um, you know... I guess the own network for people who love Oprah, like people who would never consider getting cable are probably by get or getting the own network specifically. Cause I don't know how you even get that. They're probably torrenting it. <laughs> I doubt they're torrenting I gotta it. Get that Gail King torrent. <laughs> get that GK shit. But yeah. So, I mean, I think there's, there's, I can see why from a creator point of view, there's glory in being like, Oh, we're the first podcast to do such and such. But I think from a consumptive point of view, the more you can make it like an actual thing that someone would want who could care, couldn't, wouldn't ever look to a podcast ever, the more that's going to actually, but I think that actually feeds in. I mean, I'm not saying you're endorsing this, but that feeds into the things I think you guys are critiquing about podcasts is that that insularity is partly done to, to keep attracting people who are into this stuff, like using star names or like the same group of like now relatively famous comedians in LA. You're going to see them a lot. No, it's attention. And, 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 and and I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, ready to say that you know i'm not ready to call it good or bad oh yeah no no yeah i'm not either right i have my i have i probably listen to more podcasts than either one of you i think and it's 
I, I get the same thing. Like, you know, when someone's promoting something. Is that a badge? Are you are you bragging about uh, it? Yes. <laughs> it's uh, it's let's, <laughs> let's throw down. I know. Now 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 I'm going to get a lot of action. <laughs> like, oh, he listens to 20 podcasts. I want to see him naked. But of course, you know, and and with with podcasts, of course, because they are. I mean, I get just as tired of the fact that you know when it, sometimes if you watch enough TV talk shows, it's like, oh Jesus Christ, the same people are on the circuit right now. Yeah, I'm tired of seeing you know this actor who's going to be you know got the new film, you know, and and what I like about you know, and some of the podcasts I like are podcasts that are not guest driven. Yeah, right, right, right. That, that are driven by the hosts, you know, and and if they have guests. You know, I often like the ones where it's like, I've never heard of this fucking guy because he right. is just this fucking guy. Right. And I think like the five by five network has a little bit of that in that like, like it's like this is the guy who had the office next to Dan Benjamin and he he just liked talking to him and he brought him on his podcast. Or even like Dave Hill, right? Like he had like a butcher Dave, on last week. Oh, yeah, week. right. Or he had the guy who worked the for Vice. Yeah, 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 right. yeah like, exactly. I guess, so my feeling is the opposite is like, especially, you know, uh, there are some podcasts I listen to where I'll listen to every episode. But there's some, like, and I think Bullseye is one of those now, where it's like, oh, is this with someone I don't know? Not listening to it. Mm-hmm. Is it with someone I already like? Listening to it. <laughs> no, I do that too. And then, I, and then I'm, because there's part of that, that shorthand, it's, it's like, it's more of a risk, right? Am I, am I going to be listening to something and I'm going to go, oh, fuck, this is stupid. I can't take this. Or, you, or is it sometimes you listen, and, and I think Mark Maron is somebody, but Jesse Thorne is somebody as well, because they are good interviewers and because, you know, they when they choose somebody for their program, right, they have a pretty strong, I think, editorial voice. Exactly. Like they've yeah, chosen, you, you, yeah. you, you've, they've chosen them for a reason. So even if it's somebody unknown, and, and usually for Mark Maron, if it's somebody unknown, it's just because there's some, like, regional touring comedian. Yeah, but he had, like, Sam Lipside on early on, like, the writer, who I'd never heard of. Was fucking, yeah, right, sure. really fucking interesting and good. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh. Well, no, is- no, I agree. And, and, and Jesse Thorne as well. It could be an actor or it could be someone else engaged in culture. Um, I really like Colin Marshall's podcast, mm-hmm. A notebook on Steve's and culture, mm-hmm. uh, where, where where he's got a you know it's more about people who are have strong relationships at a place where they are, and he interviews them about that, but in a broad sort of way, and it's never anyone I've heard of, but he's a good interviewer, strong editorial voice, and he's pretty good, and I'm sure he must do interviews that never air, like because yeah. he, I'm sure he's got interviews where he looks back and he goes. <sighs> person just didn't come across well it didn't and mm-hmm. and he's willing to do more work for the for what for what comes out of it and it's hard it's very hard yeah, and work. i mean it's still and i think in some ways we're getting to the, the essence of podcasting at the moment, which is it's a platform to get to other platforms it is yet to become and i guess it's not even just an art form but most of the people who are coming out of it and, uh, and happily so for me because there's a lot of people who i think are hysterically funny or really talented who are just kind of not not necessarily obscure but certainly not mainstream who are getting television shows and are doing getting money essentially to do the funny shit they were already doing, which is really interesting to me, like comedy bang bang or the Nick Kroll show or like Andy Daly, who I think is possibly the funniest person on earth, like getting his own show, even though I love, I, I could listen to him do a podcast every week, even though he doesn't. Right. But he doesn't, he doesn't want to stay in like the podcasting ghetto. Apologies. Yeah. Well, and I guess for blacks. me again, consumptively, I don't care if it's a person I like, I don't care what, what, if it's a TV show or yeah. if it's a radio show or if it's a podcast. Yeah. But no, it does make some difference to me. Like, I would prefer him to be on a podcast because there's virtually no limit to what you can say or do, right? That's what's exciting about, like, character work or improv or whatever. Whereas television has some more constraints around economies yeah. and things. But sure. What's sort of fascinating, and, uh, and then based upon sort of Jenny's point, which I think is a really good point, um, 
that you know i disagree of oh. making you know of, of culture be, you know things that are broadcastable because we live in a digital age in which these things can be endlessly reproduced is that making basically creating a stream of of stuff where you can really get what you want and especially you know it would be even better pay for it easily because uh, i do follow and i agree we've we've debated this right. offline before but i agree with the, the fundamental principle that that's really the way the world should work it's interesting that when it comes to audio media that's largely happened like podcasting somehow took over radio in in, in that way and that that technology you know ends up be has ended up being the de facto way in which radio exists when it's not on actual broadcast radio <laughs> well and i think part of it yeah right agreed is like you know for us to talk about it is one thing because uh n- pretty much none of us are in the age group of of marketing that marketers care about <laughs> mm-hmm. so i mean at some point i i feel like you know the people kids the kids these days the kids coming up <laughs> no people younger than myself I, I mean i really think that they've grown up in a situation where it they aren't going to distinguish between do i download this right. from cbs no, or do i download this from Schmo, or do i watch know? or and or in many cases they're perfectly happy with hulu or perfectly happy yeah, with but I think like, or some some like bootleg korean site but the question <laughs> is like there's been a lot of articles recently about this with television but i think paul would come out from radio which is will traditional television and radio cease to exist because of this right will no. the way we produce and consume yeah. these things actually change like you know like that like the netflix series whatever are, are just going to be are just shows going to be everywhere and you won't have to tune in or have advertisers right and the same thing with like commercial radio like will podcasting eventually just destroy radio in a way that they have to reformulate it no i i, I mean i tend to think not and maybe i'm maybe no I, I, you tend to yeah like it's I, a safe bet right? right well i tend to think not it's a safe bet but i tend to think because there there is there are still some needs that this asynchronous media does not fulfill exactly yeah. right and and the needs have to do often with things like like news um as it turns out uh, most of the new jobs in radio are in sports mm-hmm. because sports doesn't tend to benefit from the asynchronous experience in the same way. Yep. You need to have live people calling the games, even while we can have you know voice track DJs across twelve a cluster of fifteen stations. Right. Margarita, <laughs> that is our guest well, star, Margarita, who has a lot of opinions about uh, podcasting. Yeah, and so, I think sports is the big argument for why like cable will never die or satellite. Yeah, I don't think die. it'll die, but it might be that like commercial radio goes to a different model of of funding, right? That, like, commercials are different so that there is more uninterrupted time or that it's more freeform. You know, maybe it reverts to a degree like how, you know, 50s, 60s, even early 70s radio worked um, in a less commercial way or it's more integrated, perhaps, like in the way the podcasts do it, right? Yeah, basically, where, I mean, you know, commercial radio is a disaster. Yeah, right. And and except for, you know, talk to some extent. And, And... because the people on the radios on the music side don't want to own up to the to the reason why talk is so successful. Talk is so successful because there's a point of view, there's an editorial voice, and Rush Limbaugh, you know, has a large audience, but he'll never have the kind of audience that say Casey Kasem once had mm-hmm. or Wolfman Jack once had, and they keep wa- thinking they're going to get back to that, and they're not. But then, so with music, they don't want to follow that same kind of. They're like, you know, there's an editorial voice. They want to instead. They're now off on a jag where it's all about, um, where it's all about letting the listener decide. 
And I'm not always sure the listener wants to decide to that level of specificity. Mm-hmm. Like, let the listeners vote on the songs. And, and the likelihood they're going to choose something that they haven't already heard or don't already know is so right. unlikely. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know? know, and it, it but, but whatever. It, you know, and right, because it's a false choice, though. It's like saying, oh, well, we can choose anything in the market except right. the market's like, and, and, totally and it's limited. Just, I think it's ways, just a phase. Know? But I think, yeah, I think that the, the synchronous media, broadcast type media, it will stay around. But right, it's going to increasingly become irrelevant for. 75% of the programming that's out there, right? It does not matter to watch American Pickers live. It does not matter to watch a lot so of that's shows not live, live, you're telling me, so yeah, I don't need to somehow. tune in. Well, and I think they're trying God to make it, it. I mean, there's like, you know, with tweeting during it, like, right. um, or um, Viggle, which is a program where you get points um, for, hold. you know, you hold up your smartphone to the TV and oh, it they records. they got to hold up a pickle. <laughs> it records... <laughs> It records that you're watching something live, and then like you get points for it, and you can trade it in for like Amazon. Yeah, someone who hates work. badges and status seeking, you know a lot about badges and status. I do. Yeah, I'm like, I I, this sounds horrible. <laughs> these are like these are green stamps for yeah. the digital age. But I like free shit. I don't tell you about it, but I How like many, free right. shit. How many pocket knives can you get? Or, exactly. or X-ray glasses? Exactly. <laughs> Well, if I'm going to be on Hoarders, I need more commemorative glasses. <laughs> I got true. the uh, I got the uh, Top Chef X-ray glasses. I can see Pad Malachi's nipples. <laughs> well, you don't I, need X-ray glasses for that ball. So on, uh, they lied to you. On The Bachelor, they now put up the tweets about people who right. like they put up live tweets. And of of all the shows, like for that to happen, it's like no one watching The Bachelor has anything pithy to say right. that you're going to want to repl- put on the TV because it's like always like yeah, this guy's an asshole. It, it like takes Twitter and just makes it completely so what you're saying. Yeah. So what you're saying is that we're, we're, is that all live programming is eventually going to become the box. Yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> and so we're just going to see the dip 37 times in an afternoon. I, I, that would be my dream. People are going, I'm I, oh, OMG. I'm digging freak nasty with a shovel, best. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> we need that. So I we need people to start stuff. live tweeting this show, which is completely pre-recorded. Although yes. Jenny and I have discussed on many occasions, but I have not done anything oh, to pull it off. I would love it's it. To do, is to do live uh, JP sellout. Primary problem is that we have no regular schedule of recording. No. It's roughly We could weekly. probably make one, though. We could. We, all you I, need is one. If you're doing one or every, like once in a while, just putting yeah. up the time, I think, And then doing a Ustream, yeah. 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 I got the technology to do that. And then we can take the live tweets or have the live call-ins. Well, you know, I'll call in because I have nothing to live for, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, we, we can get some people in. All right. I think we've solved the problems of, uh, of synchronous media. I think, I think and, and podcasting. I think we're all feel happy about it again. Feel- and you should... Um, Write our, on our Facebook page or tweet us so that you can say you were a fan when. Or you can tell us we're getting too insular. It's true. <laughs> You'll get this, your special JP sellout crown in the mail <laughs> for the most tweets. <laughs> it's 47 no, pounds. I'll though. tell you where you can get your JP sellout crown. Um, there's this there's this restaurant chain you may have heard of. They're called Burger Kings. Oh, sure. And um, just mention our name and they'll give you a crown. Uh, yeah, it's made of horse meat, the crown, but... <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> it's not from Ikea. You, you didn't know. Yeah. Oh. It's not from Ikea. Although, although at one point, Burger King was owned by a British holding company. Mm. I don't know if it still is. It's been traded around. Anyway. Should we do our uh, our, our, our things think, we like? Yeah, Kyle. Why don't you sure go first? I have something I you have nothing you like. You've had a grumpy week, so maybe yeah, that's why. Yeah. goddamn grumpy week. Um, my thing, I'm going to plug the book of my friend, Stephanie Ricker Schulte, who is assistant professor of communications at the University of Arkansas. It is called Cash, the Global Internet. No, the, the Internet and Global Popular Culture. Sorry. 
I don't know the whole title. Um, it's an excellent study of the way in which the internet comes to be regulated and run and the way we understand it through culture, how it shapes those regulations. And That's you know the author. So you're I really do know cool. the author. She is brilliant, much smarter than me. Uh, so buy it. Or I know some librarians listen to this. It would be great for your library. Uh, I do think it actually will become the standard in the field for the sort of cultural history of the internet. So, so it's a cash C-A-S-H? Uh, no, like computer. C-A-C-H-E. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's excellent. Um, I'm reading Going Clear, which is the new. Oh yeah, uh, I endorse this as well. I just finished it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm. I'm not done. Book? I'm pulling a Paul. Oh no. Um. Yeah, no. It's the new book. Um. It was there was a Vanity Fair article that it was sort of. Oh yeah. Yeah, and and um, basically, like I think a quarter of the book is footnotes as to cover their ass legally <laughs> so they, they do not get sued. <laughs> but it has amazing. Um. It's it's just really well researched and um. Because it has to be, but it's sort of a history of L. Ron Hubbard and how Scientology got to where it is. And it includes so many amazing quotes from L. Ron Hubbard that are, uh, you know, like horrifying about, uh, you know, Chinamen. And oh, yeah. Today I read oh. one that was like, just dump it in or let fate decide regarding <laughs> pregnancies. <laughs> That's pretty great. It's that was the first good. Scientology slogan. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was like, bump it in her. Let fate figure it out. I was like, Whoa. so it's it's great. Yeah, I, if I, only I, for L. Ron Hubbard votes, it's great. Oh, I highly recommend it too. It's by the guy Lawrence Wright who wrote mm-hmm. um, the history of Al Qaeda before nine eleven, which is also an excellent book called The Looming Tower. Uh, he's <laughs> a great researcher, it just, and it's just fascinating. Like they are batshit crazy. Uh, I should be careful but, on the but, internet, but yeah, but I mean, it's because they are nuts. I think you're, I think you're like, oh yes, L. Ron Hubbard's kind of crazy, but then you read this book and you're like, holy shit, that's it, not libelous language. And it gets to like what we're talking about, right? Which is like the way communities can really fucking morph and change around yeah. these particular values. And I, and and that's exactly what you're talking about, like the fucking badges and this crazy shit they're competing yeah. for. Ah, oh, magical. Yeah, the total, the bridge to total freedom. <laughs> He shouldn't understand the metaphor. They had to put the bridge in there so you get Which it. Which is like stolen from the OTO and like Satanism. Yeah, so. yeah. Great. Awesome. You They're guys. super successful. Uh yeah. You don't have a thing. <laughs> I don't got a goddamn thing. You've had a grumpy thing. week, so no thing. Yeah, for you. I would say uh the thing I like would be actual spring. <laughs> sure. As in the sure. season. Uh, which in March here we we experienced in Chicago by getting the largest snowfall we'd had all 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 year. It's pretty lame. It's well, I'm going to plug lame. a second thing then. If you're not going to go for it, else. plug it. Uh, the show called Burning Love, which started as an online show, and it's kind of like a parody of The Bachelor, which I don't I don't think I've ever really watched more than one of, but it is hysterically funny, and it has uh, most of LA's best comedians in it, and it's really really funny. Uh, and it features a lot of hilarious women, which is actually really nice. Is, is it funny? It's really funny. <laughs> I think. Uh, I really, I really enjoy it. Uh, they're so spot on. Like, and just like if you like reality television at all, you'll see all the tropes sort of being sent up in a way that I think is really smart. And uh, what, what channel is this? On? Oh, um, you can get it online. Just type in "Burning Love." Uh, but because the current season's airing online, and then they E Entertainment Television is now airing the original season. They bought it and are putting it on E. Yeah. All right. I know. I don't know. I think they're sucking it. They're like. You know, we got Chelsea Bravo. Handler and nothing else. Yeah, yeah, the pretty much. They've got the soup and oh, the yeah, Kardashians. I yeah. think the Kardashians is their major. Oh, that's true. Hobby yeah. horse. Right, right, right. That's true. They have Ryan Seacrest. Oh, <laughs> he's immortal. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Seacrest out. <laughs> Seacrest immortal. Excelsior. 
All right, that's what I meant. Seacrest out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. I will not allow Thank that. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you.